Hello and welcome to All About Symbian Insight podcast number 246. I'm Rafe Blanford. I'm Steve Litchfield. Hi there. Thank you, Steve. Uh, it's been a little while since we've done a, a Symbian podcast. I think Steve says it's been about five weeks, so we thought it was uh, high time we did another one. And actually, we've got a couple of reasons to do so. More of that from Steve in a minute. But the second one is really, it's uh, February the 12th, but we'll just go back 24 hours and pretend <laughs> it's uh, February the 11th, three years on. Uh, from the bombshell. Uh, we'll talk about that in the second half of the podcast, how things have panned out a little bit. But uh, Steve, I thought we'd start off this podcast by talking a little bit about the Nokia store. Just to recap for those people that aren't familiar, uh, on January the 1st, there was an effective freezing of the official Nokia store, wasn't there? Yes. Well, now, this may be slightly confusing to people because you, people will have noticed if they've been using their Symbian smartphones that the Nokia store has still been popping up updates right through into January. And what I suspect is happening is that some of these uh, updates were filed before the appropriate date and Nokia have just been um, backfilling them and approving them. And it, I would say in someone's lunch hour, that sounds rather disingenuous, <laughs> but well, with reduced manpower, shall we say, I think those updates have now stopped. We're well into February and I haven't heard of any official application updates in the store. So as far as we're concerned, it's a frozen store. And what's there is viable, what's there is downloadable, what's there is usable, but it, there just won't be any updates through the store or any new applications. That's absolutely right. And I think, as you say, there were just a few sneaking out. I mean, it's a bit like the situation with certificates. Um, obviously, the kind of signing is now closed, so you can't actually get a, an app officially signed. But there are a few developers out there who have their own special certificates. A similar thing actually happened when uh, the theme stopped going into the store as well. You know, a few companies had access, and I wouldn't be surprised if a few updates got in that way. But as far as we can tell, there will now be no more, which does rather lead to the question, Steve, uh, how do people get the software onto their phone? Now, there's some obvious ways by going to a developer's website, but is there any handy method either coming up soon or something we can maybe talk about? I'm dropping massive hints here. <laughs> Well, before we talk about that, we should just backtrack slightly. And you mentioned signing there. This is this, this is critical. Um, is. What Nokia did over the last two, three, four years, ever since um, you know platform security came in and uh, the whole you know binary compatibility change, we went from uh, Series 60, I guess, to um, S60 third edition and fifth edition and Symbian 3. But all the last four or five years worth of um, applications through the store um, have been signed by a an official third party, or in latter years by Nokia themselves, which means that anything that needs any kind of capabilities, whether you know accessing the telecom system, let alone messing with the OS, has needed to be digitally signed so that the Nokia said, "Yes, we've tested it. It does just this and no more." And and that basically has been happening. That is no longer happening, and it begs the question really of. Okay, so you've got an application that doesn't do very much. It's a trivial game. Well, you probably can, you know, push it, push it out, and and what's called just self-sign it, which is you just sign it with your own developer certificate. It, the OS doesn't give you very, very many capabilities. As you, well, you can't do much. You've only signed it yourself. There's no been no official checking, um, but you can still sideload it. And the the Symbian phones then install the SIS with just a couple of warnings here and there. But basically, it gets through. Um, you can also have unsigned applications, uh, which is as it sounds, uh, no one's, it's something, applications which have a lot of capability, they mess around with the operating system, they have all sorts of powers, but no one has checked them officially, um, no, no one has certified them, so how the heck do you get them onto your phone in the first place? You can't just sideload those and just install it onto a vanilla Symbian device. 
Uh, and that's where this high, kind of uh, the custom firmware world, which we've also been reporting on the news sections and the left-hand column on All About Symbian and the, the world of signing and application installing comes together because, I don't know whether you're aware of this, Ray, but all of the custom firmwares, one of the first things they do is get rid of the, the, the platform protection so that you can basically install anything you like, which I think is probably the, the way forward for the geeks who still follow All About Symbian and who are, want to go down this particular rat hole. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I've never been a massive fan of the custom firmwares, mainly because what was on there already uh, suited me just fine. But I think this is probably the best reason for a lot of people to install it, you know, quite apart from some of the other tweaks and bits and pieces you get. I think for a lot of people, it's kind of more hassle than it's worth. But um, in order to get very easy, you know, basically install anything you want, as you say, the unsigned stuff, you know, those custom firmwares is a way to go. You can do it outside of the custom firmwares, but it's a, a bit tricky to get all that working. And to be quite honest, there's plenty of instructions now and information on the custom firmwares, including by Steve, all the articles he's written on all about Symbian. That it, it does seem you know, a, a sensible way to go. I mean, looking through them, there aren't loads and loads of apps being released that kind of need this you know, unsigned stuff. But there are a few that might appeal to people, particularly if they want to have the latest version of certain applications. And so uh, it, it's difficult to say how big this will become because it also has to be set against the fact that I think people you know, will be moving on to other devices more and more as time goes forward. It's just that natural process that we've talked about before. Uh, yes, absolutely. I, I think that we're well into geek territory here. The number of active <laughs> Symbian users across the world, a year or two ago, I wrote an editorial saying that it was something in the region of 200 million plus, which it probably was at the time, around the time of the, uh, the N8, for example. Uh, and at that time, it was, uh, it was the, in terms of installed base, it was still the largest smartphone OS in the world. That, of course, has now fallen to, uh, to Android. And possibly even Apple iPhones. If you add up all the Apple iPhones ever sold and all the S60 and Symbian phones, there can't be that much in it. And certainly in terms of active users, people actively using them day to day who in a, in a meaningful smartphone way and who are actually looking for applications to add to their devices, I suspect we're now down into the tens of millions, the low tens of millions, and possibly by the end of 2014 into the single millions. But that, you could say, argue that that's still enough of an audience for um, geeks and enthusiasts like myself and yourself to, and various other developers to create alternative means to get applications on and to support the community and to keep some of these great old devices and things like the Nokia N8. It's really classic hardware. The 808 is still unique in many ways to keep these devices going for, you know, years to come. And, and why not? It's, it's good fun. It keeps them productive and it's ch cheaper than buying a, a Galaxy S4. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think you hear when you talk about active devices, uh, you really have to distinguish in a couple of ways. You know, there are devices that might occasionally get used that are sitting in drawers, which probably don't really count anymore. And there's going to be a lot of those about because I think people still aren't that good about recycling phones or the, you know, quite rightly don't want to because they're keeping it as a backup camera or something like that. People using it day to day, I mean, I still see quite a lot of Symbian devices, but I suspect an awful lot of people using them don't really realise they've got a, a smartphone in the traditional sense. You know, it's the sort of person that keeps a phone maybe for five years or even longer, not the sort of typical person listening to this podcast who probably has an itch to upgrade their phone every six months and might you know, do it yearly or on the two-year contract cycle. Um, but there are probably still people... And I would suggest you're right, you know, 10 million or even in the sort of low single millions who sort of are actually using their device and you know, will look for software to install. And so you know, the current situation, it's all a bit uh, messy in terms of you will 
use the Nokia store or maybe go to a developer's site. Is there any prospect of you know, something coming along that makes that process a little bit easier, Steve? And for the second time, I'm going to actually respond to your hint rather than ignore it. Excellent. So, <laughs> I did put up a story. We hinted in the last podcast that something was coming. Basically, a developer has contacted me. He's been had the idea for producing a third-party equivalent to the Nokia store, kind of a super shell over the store, and that uh, anything which is in the store and still valid and still up-to-date will get loaded and get passed through to the Nokia store application. Anything which has been updated since then or which exists outside the store, it can be handled in a Nokia store-like environment. So he's, he's written it in Qt, and he's basically mimicked the, the existing sort of UI of the Nokia store, tried to keep the same sort of look and feel. Um, but basically, it, it handles the three situations, the Nokia signed apps, which it kind of takes you through to Nokia store for, the self-signed applications, and utilities which don't need massive power, or perhaps games or general applications, um, and it, it, you can load those from the developer website, um, or even unsigned, um, you know, these powerful applications which need extreme um, privileges, which haven't been signed by anyone, but this can, this can know all about those, and it can deliver them straight to your handset, and it just pops up a warning, obviously, so in each case, saying whether, A, I'm passing you to the Nokia store, B, this is a self-signed, um, it's only been checked by the developer, or this is unsigned, it hasn't been checked by anyone, you install this at your own risk, but I think at this stage, I think the, 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 the target for malware is probably low enough in the Zambian world. I think we can assume that anyone writing applications at this point is doing it in a constructive manner, isn't actually trying to sabotage the whole endeavour you know, by releasing a Symbian virus. So, well, at least I'm saying that with my fingers crossed. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think that's right. And anyway, it's going to get picked up very quickly if something slightly dodgy is going on. Yeah, yeah. So this is called AppList at the moment. That's the, the working title for the app. I haven't released the developer's name because he hasn't actually asked me to make it public. I think he wants to just keep himself low profile until he himself knows he's got the manpower at his end to, you know, to finish the project. I, don't think, I think he wants to, to make sure he doesn't leave people you know, with a half-baked solution. So we've uh, put a story up on the, all about Symbian in the right-hand flow column asking for volunteers and uh, giving a, the developer can get, then get in touch with you via those the comments there or via the emails that I've passed through. I think he's got 20 or 30 people already helping, Rafe, and I think that's plenty to do. A, beta testing of the actual store application, and B, probably more important, helping out with the populating of the main database um, so, you know, with applications that people have recommended. I think he's taken my own curated um, Symbian application store and Symbian game store from my uh, stevelitchfield.com domain website as a starting point. Um, but that's only at two or three hundred. I think we're hoping that with a bit of uh, uh, extra volunteers, we can get up to a thousand or so, which would be the, the thousand best apps and games for Symbian all in one store, which can carry on into 2014, 2015. And it's scalable and flexible that developers can update their apps put in new URLs and, and users can think, oh, there's a new update for this application and it will just stream in seamlessly from the developer's website. So in theory, we think we've got all the bases covered and hopefully within a month or two, this will be up and working and certainly in, in, you know, in open beta. Yeah, and I think the thing that's worth emphasising is there's effectively a bit of built-in curation going on here um, because this is all uh, edited by the developer himself, by Steve and by the volunteers. And so compared to the Nokia store, I think you're going to get a much higher quality list of applications, you know, just like Steve's own curated app list. Uh, you compare that to the, the Nokia store, which particularly in its latter years uh, seemed increasingly filled with junk. Some of the Java yeah. applications that were written for Series 40 devices, calling them junk's a little unfair maybe, but they were written for Java devices. And because they also ran on the Symbian devices, they sort of get listed on there as well. And there were plenty of sort of 
content-based things as well, be it themes or ringtones and uh, and stuff like that. You won't see any of that in this kind of app list. So it's going to be a great way, I think, of getting content onto the older devices. And, you know, for those who are, but even if you're using it as a backup device, you might still want to be able to install a few apps. And if you reset a device, it's a bit of a nightmare now trying to find and get it set up again. This is certainly going to help you with that. And if you're still using a Symbian device regularly, uh, it's also obviously going to be a real boon um, if you want to try out some new applications. Because I very much doubt anybody's got a thousand apps installed onto their phone, but they might find some some hidden gems which were previously sort of hidden amongst the craft in the Nokia store. Um, I think there is one feature you should mention, Steve, in terms of some integration where people be able to sort of get a heads up when some interesting app updates have happened. Yes, in addition to actually mimicking the Nokia store's own um, system, whereby when applications get updated, you get notified with a little blue number uh, in the corner of the screen. That's, that works exactly the same with the Nokia store. It's also got integration for our own All About Symbian um, RSS-based news feed. So basically, if, if new apps and situations and interesting news and tidbits and tutorials, whatever we we decided to put out, even in Symbian's latter days, and I do apologize that they haven't been <laughs> as frequent in previous years, but when something happens on All About Symbian, that's built into the application in a sort of kind of scrolling pane. So they will appear as headlines within this all-singing app list uh, shell app, if you like. The only uh, kind of downside to having this kind of shell app, which is aware of the Nokia store underneath, is the fact that if you actually ask for something which is in the Nokia store, it will give you a pop-up saying, for the first time, saying, you know, we're putting you through, we're spawning the Nokia store client, blah, blah, blah. Um, after you've used the Nokia store client, exit it, and you'll be back where you started in, in app list, which is fine. But it is rather cumbersome. You, you tap on download or buy or whatever, and it actually has to launch, for the technical reasons, the, the Symbian web browser using the store.obby.com with the appropriate URL. The Symbian web browser and that URL then spawns the actual client, Nokia store client. Then you do your business. Then you have to back out of the store client and then back out of the web browser. And that is clumsy. And I really wish the developer can find a way around that. Um, it's not a showstopper. It just means an extra three or four seconds every time you want to go through to the underlying Nokia store. But it, that is perhaps the, the clunkiest part of the current system. But it works. And I guess at this stage, Rafe, we can just be glad that something is going to carry on that works. That's absolutely right. And of course, that will, um, you know, even if something happens to the Nokia store, there's going to be an opportunity there also to keep away of being able to deliver apps onto the phone. Now, in the last podcast, Eva, I know you mentioned that your Nokia E7 was going on holiday for a little while <laughs> um, in order to help the sort of Delight custom firmware be able to sort of be ported to the E7. I believe you've got some news to share on that, or at least people reading the site will kind of already know about this story, but we wanted to mention it on the podcast as well. Yes, Rafe. The, um, not only the E7, in fact, the All About Symbian uh, Nokia X7 was also sent away on holiday to the, the guy who's been coordinating these delight firmwares, uh, Eric, he's over in Germany somewhere. Um, and uh, the X7 firmware has now appeared, as has the E7. So this is Delight. Um, it's classed as version Delight 1.0, but it's pretty mature given that he's been tinkering with these delight firmwares now for at least a year. Um, certainly on the Bell re and Bell Refresh devices. Um, if people look at the stories we'll link to in the show notes, the, the change log from the official Nokia firmware to Delight firmware is enormous. 
I'm browsing through it now, Rafe, on my screen, and it, it's two or three or four pages worth of detailed bullet points, each one of which might be a, a real boon to certain particular people. All sorts of tweaks, all those things that annoyed you about Symbian, and why didn't Nokia fix this, and why did that pop up when it shouldn't do, and so forth. All of these things, in addition to all the you know, permission stuff, where you can install stuff that Nokia wouldn't let you install, you can send that stuff by Bluetooth that Nokia wouldn't let you Bluetooth, and so on. Plus loads more themes and transitions effects plus the Delight application itself, which lets you tweak all sorts of interesting things under the hood, you know, things like the, the way that the, the interface does kinetic scrolling. You can adjust all that and uh, tra transparency effects. Really, really clever stuff. There's more, more there to fiddle with you can possibly think of. Um, the E7 was particularly interesting, Ray, because uh, I kind of felt, I think most people did, that Nokia had kind of forgotten about it. It's had a totally unique form factor that only Nokia was doing, and yet they, they made almost nothing of the E7. I think uh, people... Most of us thought the E7 was a bit of a compromise in the first place, not having the replaceable battery for such a business, you know, critical device, and not a very big battery at that. Um, so maybe Nokia lost heart in it as well. But for whatever reason, it is still a unique form factor, and I think it's just great to see the E7 with that full QWERTY keyboard you can, that you can use in the same, at the same time as the full screen, um, now available with a new lease of life. And, and given that uh, this custom firmware is not going away anytime soon, once you've you know applied this, you can carry on updating it and. You could even use an E7 for the rest of this year in 2015 quite happily, despite whatever Nokia might think. Indeed, yeah, it's uh, always an interesting device. I mean, I think the problem with it originally was it came out of obviously the communicator line, which had its own unique software or Series 80 for a, a long time. And then the E7 was an attempt to sort of get Series 60 running on it. And it just wasn't quite fit for purpose in the same way. It wasn't optimized in the same way. And some of that was got round by actually putting some unique layouts in for that kind of landscape orientated screen. But it was always, as you say, a bit of a compromise uh still it's a device i really liked i mean i still have a, a soft spot for that form factor i suspect that comes out of the the cyan days and the clamshell devices nowadays it does feel like a, a kind of a bit of a, a dead end exactly but a, a forgotten branch of you know the smartphone form factor history and where things went and obviously we've we've come to a period now where you just have a, a big panel of glass and a screen sitting behind it and all the smartphone form factors are pretty similar. Even QWERTY keyboards in general are disappearing, apart from at the low end of the market. Um, so, yeah, kind of an interesting one to just revisit that. I think that's... Um, just before you carry on, Ray, just mm. you did forget the E90 in your little mini communicator history there, which was, of course, the first attempt to retrofit that's true to the, uh, the, the communicator form factor. And I think we should just, just mention for all the other E90 fans that they're shouting at their, uh, their <laughs> podcast players. But, of course, that, I think that was possibly a, a more classic device than, than the E7. And it, it, I called it the E7 a communicator in my features because I, I, I like the... I want to have that full quality. I want the option, at least. I want the chance to use it. But I, my heart says that probably the E90 was the last great of the, uh, the you know, traditional Nokia communicators. Yeah, okay, fair enough. I th think I can put my hands up and say, yes, it, it was certainly the last to carry the communicator name officially, as far as I remember. I don't yeah. think the E7 yeah. was ever officially referred to it as. I mean, it was clearly a kind of a descendant of it. Um, and I suppose the nearest you would get to a descendant now would be something like the, the Lumia 2520 in terms of, you know, who it might be sold to, that kind of business market for on-the-go stuff. Uh, I guess it's a reflection of just how much, you know, mobility computing has changed. Yeah. I mean, it, it, but it's an interesting piece of history. I think in this uh, last section of the podcast, we will just, uh, we've got in our show notes here, a reference to February the 11th and, you know, in hindsight, how's it panned out. Do you want to introduce this topic, Steve? 
Yeah, I guess we, we, we're looking back on every anniversary of, of the bombshell when Stephen Elock came out and, and shook hands with Steve Ballmer and said, right, that's it, we're switching to Windows Phone. And it was all rather a shock at the time. Um, I think in hindsight, we can probably say that it hasn't worked out terribly for Nokia. You know, people will probably shout up at their <laughs> players at this point because they think, well, what do you mean terribly? They lost massive market share and ended up being sold to Microsoft. But... With the best will in the world, even I will acknowledge that this, this Symbian code base was, as some people put it, spaghettified. Um, years of and years of people adding to it and then changing it and then evolving it. It ended up being something it wasn't really designed for in many ways, and, and especially stuff to do with online activities and web browsing and you know internet services and so forth. So I, I'll be the first to admit that Symbian was showing its age. I've said all along, and I know you you, you disagreed with me at the time that. Uh, the announcement should have been done in a different fashion. They should have de-emphasized how much they were going to um, drop Symbian and then you know, said, don't worry, we'll carry it, we'll wind that down gradually rather than drop it like a, a hot brick. That could have been done differently. It could have been done communicated more differently. And as a result, I think Nokia might have saved themselves uh, 50 million smartphone sales in, in, in the meantime. But looking back, I will acknowledge that the Windows Phone is a much more modern uh, interface. It's a more modern platform. It's got more modern hooks. In fact, Windows Phone feels a lot more modern than iOS and Android, and I use all three day to daily. Uh, and I have to say the Windows Phone is, is, is the platform, is the youngest platform that will, in theory, go on the longest in terms of 2015, 2016, 2017. So uh, long term, I can absolutely see Nokia's plan. I was shocked three years ago that it was all happened so suddenly and so dramatically, and I think I was proved right that they could have done that, communicated it differently. But three years on, we have, we still have Symbian handsets. It's a pity that Nokia hadn't got a working store and um, you know full maps update support and so forth. But at least at least we're still here talking about it. So I don't know. <laughs> Take it away, Ray. What do you think? Uh, I I think you've you know said much what I think about. Uh, a lot of what's happened uh, at the time it was a pretty shocking turn of events we knew that something was going to happen but actually what we were really expecting was the transition to Migo and that didn't happen in hindsight maybe looking at Stephen Elop being hired by the board you could have um, looked and said <laughs> ah yes that's a Microsoft person coming in maybe they've made a different decision or at least thinking about it yeah. but it's interesting I don't think anyone really picked up on that in any serious way it was one of the very few times I've seen uh, a group of mobile industry medias and analysts be really quite surprised by the announcement there were just a few suggestions it was going to happen in the weeks before it happened uh, but ultimately it was one of those very rare occasions where actually everyone was a bit stunned um, and as you said, there have been lots of discussions about the way it happened. And I, I don't think I've ever said it was um, the right way to announce. And I think I quite early on agreed with you that they could have handled you know, the way they talked about it better. Where we probably disagree is how much of an impact that had. I still don't think it made all that much difference. The idea that uh, it's it somehow sort of stopped Symbian device sales from happening. I think the people who were buying the devices, in other words, the main people operators had a very good idea immediately what that meant in the timelines it was you know effectively you know, the death knell for symbian despite the fact that it took nokia you know a little while to then come out with their first windows phone device the, the fact that actually happened so quickly was really a surprise but um, with the benefit of hindsight you can say it wasn't really until the 920 or the 820 and the advent of windows phone 8 that it really completed that transition in a meaningful way and had a a device that was uh, even then probably didn't measure up to 
the finest that Simeon and Bruce, certainly not with the, the competition. It's taken, I think, until the, the 925 era. And even, I think you could probably argue what's coming next, whether that's going to be called the 930, the 1030, etc., when that's really on a level playing field in terms of both the specifications and the software. I think with Windows Phone 8.1 coming up, it'll be interesting to have that whole whole discussion again. Um, but it didn't really change the situation that, that Nokia was in. And I think this is the, the most critical point. The damage um, to both Symbian and to Nokia had already been done long before that date. It really dates back to when uh, Oli Pekka Kalusovo was CEO. And I think as time has gone by, that's become more and more clear. It wasn't sort of Enoch being evil and sort of the Trojan horse or, you know, kicking Symbian off the oil platform or whichever metaphor you you choose to use i think that was demonstrated by the sales level but also what was happening in the competitive landscape around uh, nokia and i think the decline of blackberry is the perfect kind of mirror image and blackberry has you know suffered in the same way it's actually declined even more quickly and it's, it's difficult to see them coming back i mean they may retreat into their enterprise niche we'll kind of have to wait and see on that one a little bit um but i think some of the if you like the bitterness that was, I think, prevalent in the Symbian community afterwards has sort of given way to a sort of realisation that it was probably a sense of inevitability that it, that it happened. And those making the decisions at Nokia kind of had that much better view of where things were and where things were going, which is, which is why it happened. Uh, nonetheless, I do think that things have wound down rather faster than we all expected at the time. I mean, we're now in 2014, you know, dates of 2016 were talked about, but it's, it's quite obvious now for all intents and purposes that support for Symbian has disappeared apart from what's obliged from a legal point of view and so if your device goes wrong in the warranty period it will get replaced now whether it'll be replaced with a Symbian device or a Windows <laughs> phone device is probably uh, open to debate but yeah. with the, the store closing and various other bits there is very little going on we've seen something similar on the Nokia developer side of things the recent update to the site has kind of closed down access to all the tools and the documentation there so it's really just people who already were doing a few bits and pieces and maintaining things and I do know a few developers who are still responsible for maintaining um, sort of line of business apps sort of enterprise apps um, in existing installations but activity is definitely decreasing we've seen exactly the same thing happen on the consumer side um, I think the, the kind of the community side of it has responded pretty well particularly with the custom firmwares that's a, a great sign we're just the app list that we're just talking about there um, but it's a I think a good lesson for just how quickly um, you know a mighty platform or ecosystem can sort of uh, decline. I mean, there is still a lot of interest, and we still get a lot of traffic on All About Symbian, for which we're very grateful. And there's still a lot of people using the devices out there. But of course, everyone's attention, I think, now is has shifted elsewhere, and there's a sense of inevitability about that. But I'm also somewhat surprised that it's happened quite as quickly as it did. Um, again, hindsight is a, <laughs> a wonderful guide here. But I mean, Steve, did you think things would sort of come to a, a halt quite so quickly? Well, as we've said, it, it depends what you call by how you define come to a halt. There's still mm. a lot of activity there. It's just not necessarily all official from Nokia. And Nokia would quite, quite rightly say their definition of support is that if you need support, if something goes wrong, they will do their best to help until 2016. Whether that means replacing it by a Windows phone at this point is that's a moot point. One thing I want to just bring up before we finish, Ray, is the fact that... Uh, a lot depends really on why we liked our Symbian devices in the first place. And, and a lot of people uh, have argued, including myself in the past, an awful lot of that was actually the Nokia hardware. 
Um, and that much as we loved, you know, the devices like the N8, for example, a great example. Did we love the N8 um, because it ran Symbian? Um, or did we love the N8 because it had a fabulous camera and Xenon flash and, and, and a great loudspeaker and HDMI out and USB on the go and all, and all the other, all other gadgets? I, w- I would argue that at least half, if not more than half, of why we liked a lot of the Symbian devices, this is probably going to sound heretical, was actually <laughs> Nokia's expertise, certainly in imaging and certainly in multimedia. And, okay, the Lumia 800 and 710 were pretty wishy-washy on the Windows phone size, but with devices like the Lumia 1020, you know, equaling the Nokia 808 in terms of imaging expertise and the fact that they've got all things like the, you know, the glance screen and the, the great speakers, and they've even got a passable limitation of proper multitasking now, I would argue that if you're, if you're content to go from the sort of Symbian era Nokias and follow Nokia rather than follow the operating system, in actual fact, you'll, you'll keep an awful lot of what you liked. Um, in going off forward into 2014, I guess the big question mark there will then be, you know, what will happen um, when when Microsoft takes over in a few months' time? And I guess that's a whole new subject for a whole new podcast. But yes, I think that's right. And I think you're you're spot on here. I think in the early days, people liked Symbian because it was the most technically advanced. And one of the things that does sort of upset me is somewhat of the revisionist history that seems to go on in the smartphone world that refers to the iPhone as the first smartphone. And you sort of go... That's rather forgetting Symbian, which to me is the first smartphone. And actually, there's very little on today's smartphones that you really think, I hadn't seen that on Symbian in some form or some concept. Yeah, um, yeah. I think back particularly to Nokia's Go Play event, which was held in London, which actually articulated the vision for a kind of a service-led layer on top of smartphones. And in that case, it was talking about Ovi and Engage, which was you know very far ahead of its time in many ways. I mean, Nokia did subsequently screw up the execution and didn't get it right (laughs) but all the things about things like app stores and you know gaming communities and then being able to upload you know photos and video the social sharing the social elements of that that was all there in that vision and there was quite clear that more was going to come from that in those obvious services and that's actually the most important thing we have now of course it has evolved uh, further than that but uh, you know i actually think you can trace you know Symbian is responsible for the modern smartphone as we know it. I don't really think it's about the iPhone. I think what the iPhone did was emphasize the importance of usability and design, uh, whereas Symbian suffered from its kind of legacy of actually having grown out of the traditional feature phone market, whereas the iPhone, and to a lesser extent, Android was a, a blank slate. And actually, it's why the Windows phone devices now feel better because they're kind of again it was designed from a a blank slate and so that's a kind of an interesting thing there and yes just to go back to your point about the Nokia hardware I agree completely really because I look at a device like the 1020 and it's the best camera phone that you can buy I also see a device like the 1520 and I still think there's issues on the software side there, but I have yet to see uh, kind of that large screen smartphone or that phablet form factor with better hardware from any manufacturer. And it's a combination of both the design and the components that have been chosen, the high quality screen, again, the camera and pieces like that. And that is generally to me, what makes it different and stand out from the crowd. It's also, you know, that idea that the Nokia devices are still instantly recognizable, I think, and have a certain amount of character. And that has, you know, retained from the simian, it's gone into the Windows Phone era. And as you say, I mean, there is now another chapter coming with uh, Microsoft's acquisition Nokia expected to complete any day now. 
I, I think also the Windows Phone 8.1 release will be kind of an interesting period because that will actually bring a lot of things in, just filling in the last gaps, I think, for a lot of people. It's things like the notification center. But for me, it's actually more about maturing some of the programming interfaces underneath. You'll be able to do a lot more and create certain apps that you just can't have now and will fill in some of those missing gaps that you know, may be annoyed uh, Symbian users. And, uh, you know, people go, well, it's not going to be the Nokia name on it. Well, probably doesn't really matter. It depends how much you get tied up in the brand loyalty and how much is that name, that label that matters to you. Uh, we've said, I think, before on this podcast and also on the All About Windows Phone podcast that actually it's really a, more a case of uh, Microsoft absorbing the Nokia teams. It's going to be the same people working on the devices. It's going to be the same imaging team creating that next generation wonder camera phone and across other divisions and areas as well. I think there is an interesting discussion to be had about, you know, what will happen to the culture. Will that kind of finished design ethic remain that kind of that premium feel that I think it, it's fair to say you, know, you do get with the Nokia devices. That's a, an open-ended question, but to you just assume it will disappear, I think is wrong. Um, I think actually Nokia's people are going to so, become so dominant within Microsoft's hardware division. I mean, essentially what Nokia's, uh, what Microsoft is doing is implanting a hardware division. They've, they've done stuff with Surface, but compared to the scale that Nokia has, it's nowhere near the same. And so I wonder how much of that Nokia culture will imprint itself, particularly on the hardware part of Microsoft. There are all sorts of questions, of course, around the future of Microsoft as well, especially with a new CEO coming in there. But um, I, I think, Ultimately, you sort of compare it to what's happened to some of the other traditional manufacturers, and really the only ones that have come out the other side in a in a big way are Samsung and Nokia. Now, Samsung's gone through its own set of changes, and actually, you know, we've just had the alliance with Google that's been announced recently. I think there's more to come there. It's be interesting to see what happens. But you think the likes of Sony Ericsson has become Sony and gone through its own metamorphosis, but a lot of the other traditional mobile phone manufacturers aren't really with us anymore um, motorola just been sold off to uh, lenovo but a shadow of its former self but equally there's many that have disappeared altogether you know siemens people remember the sx1 series 60 device things like panasonic as well uh, sendo and a, a bunch more and so looking at the kind of the aftermath of february the 11th you sort of go well it wasn't an ideal scenario for Nokia, but the damage had been done. And in some ways, I think it's coming out. And for those that like that kind of ethos in their devices, has it survived? Yeah, I think actually it probably has done. Um, has it done as well as it could have done? Absolutely not. I mean, there you, there is an alternative parallel universe out there where people are still using uh, Symbian and it's the biggest platform on the on the planet. But in order to get there, it went through many, many changes and had a very different route and isn't recognisable to the Symbian that we have in, in this universe. In fact, I suspect it looks something rather like a cross between Windows Phone and Android. Uh, but uh, if you happen to be popping across to a parallel universe, bring us back a sample so we can have a look at it. <laughs> the, the one thing you can be sure of in the smartphone industry is that nothing ever stays the same for even a week. It's I, Every single week, Rafe, I, I write for all about Symbian, all about Windows Phone, and also for sites like Android Beat. And I do my own phone show, and I used to write for um, Smartphone Essentials magazine. And the one thing I always worried about was, what on earth am I going to write about next month? You know, What if everything just stays the same? I'm out of ideas. But every, every single week, every single day, new stories and ideas and, and changes and tutorials and apps appear and 
um, new platforms, new services. It things, it's just the pace is absolutely frantic, and uh, it's all we can do to keep up. Sometimes, isn't it? It is. It does feel like uh, keeping the rabbit down the bu- the burrow. Oh, managed to mess up that particular phrasing, but I think people <laughs> know what I mean. Uh, uh, yes, it's very fast moving. It's very dynamic. It's one of the reasons I love the industry, and you know, I think mobile still has a long way to go. People ask me, do I think there'll be as much change as there has been in the last 10 years? And I always say, I think there'll be far more in the next 10 years. Uh, we've, Symbian was very much uh, kind of the introduction to the smartphone, but even at its peak, you know, it wasn't vast numbers. We are now talking about smartphones with billions of people using them. And actually the, the question isn't, have you got a smartphone? It's probably more, have you got a data connection on that smartphone increasingly? And, uh, there is a lot more to come in terms of innovation and how software and services will work on top of that and how that impacts on our lives. And I think that's the stuff we'll be talking about in the future. And maybe that's some of the things we can talk about in the future of uh, this podcast. Obviously, it is less and less to talk about, but I think we'll be able to do our next episode once AppList is kind of uh, publicly available and we'll be able to talk people through it, maybe give a, an audio demo, if you will. Um, I'm also off to MWC in a couple of weeks' time, and I'll probably report back from that afterwards, see if I can see any Symbian devices. Last time I only saw them on, I think, two or three stands and then on lots of posters where uh, Symbian devices were still kind of being used as marketing collateral, I suspect, from uh, marketing stuff that was a few years old. Uh, but I'll also report back on kind of interesting bits of innovation that catch my eye. I think this time it's going to be all about the uh, connections with cars, which really date back to the terminal mode that was originally innovated on Symbian. So like I say, Symbian's responsible for <laughs> an awful lot of things. It's now called um, terminal mode. Uh, sorry, no, it's now called Miralink from the uh, Connected Car Consortium and I'm expecting to have a briefing with them. Um, I wonder if anyone there remembers their origins in the Symbian world or rather as a Nokia research project that uh, was all, all about the Symbian device and rather got lost in the February 11th shuffle. So uh, plenty still to talk about. And uh, Steve, I know you're keeping up to date with the new apps and bits and pieces as they come along in the flow column on All About Symbian. But we did think it would be nice to have a new entry in the main editorial column. And this is what the, this podcast has been all about. Yeah, we do have one question in from our from oh, our excellent. live studio audience, right? It's a really technical, geeky question. Uh-oh. So prepare yourself, <laughs> supercharge your brain. The question is: When is Rafe going to put a drop of oil on his squeaking door? Well, ah, yes. Yeah. Well, it is quite windy here, and the door does tend to squeak a bit when that's happening. Uh, but worry not; it's only a few months away until spring, and so I think in the next podcast you can expect the normal service of tweeting birds in the background to resume. I should look forward to that. In the meantime, it's a goodbye from me and a goodbye from Rafe. Goodbye, everybody, and thank you very much for listening.